Hey, we're in the book of Jude. We've got just two more sermons to go. And we've been hammering apostasy and apostates. And you've been going, okay, 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 Jude, I get it. We're to the good part now. Two super positive sermons. One about what God can do in our life. And then next week, it's just all about God and, and who he is and how glorious he is. So we're going to be in Jude 20 to 23. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were camping. Did you know they were campers? Who would have thought? In the middle of the night, Holmes woke Watson up from his sleep, and he asked him. He, he, he shook him, and he said, look up. I want you to describe what you see. And Watson was trying to wake up, rubbing his eyes and trying to, to just be awake to look. And he looked up and said, I see hundreds. No, I see thousands of beautiful stars. And then Holmes asked him, so what does that mean to you, Dr. Watson? The doctor thought, and he began to do like he was known to do. He began to expound on the wonders of creation, the vastness of space, and much, much more. And after his long, long dissertation, he looked, uh, he looked over at Holmes and noticed a rather disturbed look on Holmes' face. So he asked him, well, was there something that I missed? And Holmes looked at him in the eye and said, yes, someone has stolen our tent, you imbecile. <laughs> Evidence. He was looking at everything else but what? The fact that the reason he could look is because their tent was gone. That's a silly story. It didn't really happen, I don't think. I, I wasn't there. But let me just say something to you. Evidence can be murky or it can be clear, as clear as a bright summer night. And Jude has exposed the certainty, the reality of apostasy for us, false teachers for us. So the question is, the question that I have, and I think the question that's answered today is, what do we do about it? How do we safeguard ourselves against them, against that? In our verses today, we see, I think, what I would call a game plan. We see a spiritual strategy for the healthy Christian. So today, we're going to be talking not just about a Christian, but about a healthy Christian. I've entitled the message, Evidence of a Godly Life, the Godly Christian. Jude's formula is basic, but it is certain to work if carefully followed and put into practice. And the big idea today is as we contend for the truth, we must display evidence of a godly life. We have to do it. We have to do it. That's what we need to be about. Let's read Jude 20 through 23. But you, dear friends, building yourselves up in your own most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on some who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. On others, have mercy in fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Let us pray. God, we ask today that you would bring your word alive to us, that we would hear, that we would receive. God, that we would apply to our lives. We are in a battle, Lord, and you have chosen to use us, sinners who are following you, to push back darkness, to share the gospel witness, to change our world. So we ask today that you would just speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen.
So we're going to look at seven evidences today. So I'm going to talk fast so we can get through all seven, okay? There's not three points in a poem. Are you okay with that? Number one, we see right at the very beginning of verse 20, but you, dear friends, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. It's interesting. In verses 20 and 21, if you will look in the Greek language, we get four participles. Building, praying, keeping, expecting. It's the idea of doing it continuously. And we see these four things. So what does building mean or building up? Building simply means to grow spiritually. And so I've entitled the first evidence spiritual growth. We have to have that. Getting going. Evidence of a godly life. There's got to be spiritual growth. Christians must grow or they were spiritually atrophied. Did you know that? I've seen it said this way before. You're either doing this or if you're not, you don't plateau, but you do this. It's a lie, I think, from Satan himself that convinced Christians that they can plateau. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where there's a plateauing. In my life, I've either been doing this or I've been doing this. Amen? If we're really honest with ourselves. And so the first evidence is spiritual growth. We're to grow in what? The most holy faith. Well, what is that? Go back to verse 3. Do you remember verse 3 from many weeks ago? Let's look at it. Dear friends, there's that same phrase, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, and here's the zinger, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. Now that's our most holy faith. That's what's been delivered to us. That's what we must contend. This faith embodies the teaching of Jesus as well as of the apostles. And it's recorded for us. Where is it recorded? On a podcast? In a book? On TV? Radio? It's recorded in the scriptures. The most holy faith is in the scriptures. You see, building up or building, it's our first thing here, evidence, requires a blueprint. Have you ever built something without a blueprint? Maybe you did okay, but it probably wasn't that intricate. Okay, building requires blueprint, and the blueprint for us is simply this. It, listen, you don't have to go to another seminar. You can if you want. It's this. The Bible is our blueprint, and it's your responsibility and my responsibility to get into it and to understand it. No, we will not all agree on everything. I don't agree with myself sometimes, all right? I get done preaching and wonder, why did I say that? It's okay. But we work out our salvation how? Through the lens of Scripture. And notice that building is continuous. It requires action. Now let me share with you a few Scriptures. Uh, from Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders, we find Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Here's what he says to them. Final, final words. And now I commit you to God and to the message of his grace. Where do we find his message? In the word, right? Which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. And of course, we can't, when we talk about scripture, we can't leave out 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. That should be case closed right there, amen? But there's more to it. Why? What is it there for? 
It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, may be mature, equipped for every good work. So let me just tell you, spiritual growth. If there's not a teaching involved from the Word in your life, check yourself and see if you really have spiritual growth. If there's not reproof coming from the Word, check yourself. If there's not even correction coming from the Word, check yourself in spiritual growth. And of course, training. But what we forget is the, the phrase that's there. It's not just training, but what? Training for righteousness. So there should be evidence. Building up requires action. We should see that. I love Warren Wiersbe. I wish he was still around on the planet today. He was so pithy in what he said. Listen to this. I have yet to meet a strong, fruitful Christian who ignores his Bible. We must daily spend devotional time in the Word, seeking the mind of God. We must also study the Word regularly in a disciplined way so that we better understand what it teaches. It's not enough just to have a little quiet time and read a verse and then read a little half page on a devotional book. Yes, we need to be doing that. But there's also times where we study. And by the way, uh, here when service is over at 11, there are a lot of Sunday school classes that one could go to and study in a disciplined way with other believers. And there's many opportunities for that. So the question this morning is, evidence number one, spiritual growth. Are you growing in your faith? Not my job to figure it out. I'm to equip you the best that I can, but are you growing and are you building up yourself in your most holy faith delivered once and for this is it guys don't look for another revelation from God this is it it's been entrusted to us been given once and for all let's move on well let me just let me just phrase this in this way as we think about spiritual growth we need to master the book but there's more. Are you ready? That's just intellectual sin. We need to master the book and let it master us. I heard it said years ago, uh, when you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but there's a lot of truth to that. Evidence number two, we find out, is prayer. But you, dear friends, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Now let me just stop and give a disclaimer right now. Praying in the Holy Spirit is not a reference to speaking in tongues. I don't have time to do a whole class on that, but I just want to let you know. Someone who pulls that out, they have an agenda or they have an ism that they have to make it fit right there. It's not what it's talking about here. It's not talking about speaking in tongues. Rather, praying in the Spirit, the whole in the Holy Spirit here refers to something much more complete. It refers to praying under the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's a daily thing. The control of the Holy Spirit, the direction of the Holy Spirit, and the influence of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's so much more. It's, it's so complete. And this is what we're to do. This is an evidence of a godly life. You see, we're trusting in Him to intercede for us have you heard this before? With groans that words cannot express. It has been said that prayer is not getting our will done in heaven. It is getting God's will done on earth. Think of the Lord's Prayer. Maxwell Coder said this, Prayer is petition, praise, and thanksgiving, which are, I love this, ignited 
by the Spirit, ignited. And I think the scripture that came to mind for me is in Romans 8, Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. See if this is not something that you've experienced in your life. In the same way, the Spirit, capital S, also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Did you catch that? We do not know how to pray as we should. You may be the greatest prayer warrior. You may have studied prayer more than anyone else, but don't get to the point where you have arrived when it comes to prayer. Because Scripture tells us we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Have you experienced that in your life? Where you just cry out to the Lord and Holy Spirit has to take over because they're just what you're going through, what you're experiencing, what you're dealing with. Some of you right now today, I know you are. And it's just the Holy Spirit has to fill in all the gaps because we're like, God, I don't know what to do with this. God, I don't know the answer, but you do. And there's more to that verse. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's according to the will of God. I will admit regularly I have prayed before and not been in the will of God. What about you? Anybody? Anybody over here? A few honest people. Now you get the chance because you know the answer. Anybody over here? Oh, look at the hands go up. Yeah. Sure, we've done that before. But praying in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit never gets it wrong. It's always within the will of God. Why? Triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So I ask you today, how is your prayer life? Maybe more importantly, though, it's not how it looks to me, but how does it look to God? How does it look to God? So that's evidence number two. Evidence number three, I use my own word, persistence. Persistence. But you, dear friends, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, here it is, keep yourselves in the love of God. It's that participle keeping. Okay, the word keeping gives three pictures in the Greek language, all right? You're going to have to write fast here. Are you ready for this? It, three things. When we look at keeping, it's not, our English doesn't do justice to it. The first one is this. You keep your eyes on the prize. Somebody was in the Duke City Marathon today. Yeah, got to keep your eyes on the prize. Don't look down too much or you won't make it, all right? Keep your eyes on the prize. Number two, it means a pi it's a picture of building a military fortress, keeping. And third, it means to maintain your pace, moving in a constant direction. There's pace. There's direction. Again, remember, we're doing this or we're doing this. I call it persistence. Keeping, I call persistence. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Now, this does not suggest that our salvation depends on our own effort. Please hear me. Works don't do a salvation for us or anything like that. But rather it's this, that we live in faith and obedience to God. And it's so affirmed in our life, isn't it, with his love. You see, taking action against apostasy involves risk and great effort. 
Don't join us in the fight if you're going to give it one little shot. <laughs> it's constant over and over again. There's got to be persistence. There's got to be this keeping of ourselves in the love of God. I've got some scriptures for you. John 15, 10, you know it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So that shows me that keeping ourselves, it needs to be in God's love. 1 John 3, 24. 1 John 3, 24. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know this, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And then we go back to Romans chapter 6, Romans 6, 17. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. Let's just stop for a minute. Look at the person next to you say, I was once a slave of sin. Go ahead and do it. I'll wait. Some of you are like, I'm not doing it. I'm in church. I'm not going to do something like that. I'm not going to do it. Let us never think that we were the prized possession of God's salvation. No, we were slaves to sin. And praise be to God that Jesus has redeemed us, has rescued us from sin. doesn't mean that we don't sin anymore. It means we're not slaves to it anymore. We're a follower of the King of Kings. Let me go back to the scripture, Romans 6, 17. But thanks be to God that you were, who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So this tells me something. It's not just persistence. We keep ourselves in God's love, but really it is a heart matter. It is not a pride matter or anything like that. It is a heart matter. So I ask you today, how is your spiritual direction? Let me go one step further. How is your spiritual pace? Now my wife, bless her heart, walks with me. When she walks with me, her pace is different than when she walks alone. Can you guess what the difference is? It's me, because I'm a plotter. Any of you plotters in here? I, you know, I can, I can do it. My legs are longer than hers, but it doesn't matter, because she's like, <laughs> yeah. Not just what direction are we going, but what's our pace? Do you realize that, I, at least I believe it, we're living in the last days? Whatever that means, don't come tell me what it means. It means we're one day closer to Jesus returning, right, than yesterday. And uh, we, instead of whining and griping about culture and everything, we need to pick up our pace a little bit and be persistent. Let's go in the right direction and praise God. I see so many people going in the right direction. I feel like our church is going in the right direction. But let's pick up the pace a little bit. Evidence number four expectancy keeping yourself in the love of God and here it is expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life I've got good news for you guys today our future is bright we have we sing about it we have the hope of Jesus's return he is Lord he is Jesus he is Christ and as we wait for his return, our lives are infused with expectancy. I hope yours is. As we're waiting on the, uh, the hope of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're expectant. We have expectancy. We have a desire to do all that the Jesus expects of us. 
This should be a motivating factor for us, this evidence number four of the godly life. It should be motivating for us to resist and push back apostasy. Titus chapter 2, Titus 2 verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. Aren't you glad? Now, I don't know what your little box is, but it says for all people. Don't assume that person we meet that God cannot save. Leave that up to God. How about that? And we share with them. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny uh, godliness, godless, excuse me, godlessness. Boy, those big words get me, you know. I'm a two-syllabic person, so when I get to three or four, it's bad. Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we do what? Wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jude comments on that. Do you remember verse 14 we looked at recently? Basically, is what? The Lord comes. He quotes Enoch's prophecy. The Lord comes. Let me go to the Old Testament. Have you ever thought about this passage? Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors. And let the King of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors. And let the king of glory, here it is again, enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. Expectancies. Are you looking to your future with expectancy? Or are you looking with hesitancy? or even dread. Even if you've been given a death sentence here on earth, maybe you have uh, a terminal illness, you can still look with expectancy the hope, the return of the Lord Jesus. Evidence number five we find in verse 22, and it's, I call it compassion. Verse 22 is simple and quick and strong. Have mercy on some who doubt. Now, don't get freaked out by the sum. We're going to explain that. It doesn't mean you just pick and choose and like, okay, I don't like you. Okay, I like you, so I'm going to have mercy on you. That's not what it means at all. It's compassion. You see, in verses 22 and 23, I think we find the the last three evidences of a godly life. So as we safeguard ourselves and our faith, we're to look out for other groups of people. That's what these next evidences are showing us. We're going to look out for other groups of people. Well, why, Lamar? Well, remember our example. Our example is always Jesus. And when he was asked in Luke 19.10, he said what? He said, I come to seek and save the lost. That's what we're talking about here. So there are people that have sincere doubts. Would you agree with that? Have you had a discussion with someone like that? And so scripture tells us we must have mercy or compassion on those who have sincere doubts. Remember this, church. Are you ready? Look at me with your good eye. Remember this. God has not called us to win arguments. 
I heard grumbling. I didn't hear an amen. God has not called us to win arguments. He's called us to be a witness. There's a difference. The witness on the stand gives the testimony. The witness on the stand is not the prosecutor. Leave that to God. The witness on the stand is not the judge. Leave that to God. We're not here to win arguments. It's nice to win one every now and then. But we are to witness. We're to be one who reminds others of Jesus, those with doubts. Compassion. We do it with compassion. I actually read this this morning in my notes. Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38. When Jesus saw the crowds... He felt, are you ready? Compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, how many times have you heard that last phrase? Come on. In church, hundreds of times, right? Some of you, maybe even a thousand let me share something. When we get a familiar verse or phrase, sometimes we're numb to it. Do you understand that? We just gloss over it. I want you to look about and think about the, con the context here in Jude. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. To me, that to me is the ultimate compassion. So if we truly want to have mercy, if we truly want to be compassionate to others, guess what? We're to be a worker in his harvest. What does that mean? Harvest, salvation, life change. We're to be involved in that. So let me just encourage you in that. 1 Peter 2.10 says this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Amen? You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Are you glad that you have received God's mercy? Wouldn't it be great for those who have doubts to... Share a witness with them so that they have the opportunity to receive God's mercy. The question here is, are you building relationships that are compassionate to doubters? If church, and th this is one of my biggest struggles, being one of my biggest str <laughs> struggles is being pastor of this church. Don't freak out. But think where, I, think where my office is. Let's see, Sam, I'm going to get it right. It's over here, somewhere over here, right? Okay. The people that I work with, Christians. The meetings that I go to, Christians. You see how that works? This morning, the people I got to talk to mostly, right? Christians. It is difficult to build relationships with doubters. But we must build compassionate relationships with doubters. Can I say it this way? Don't give up on that family member. Don't give up on that neighbor. Don't give up on that person that just says, you know what? I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe in God. Don't give up. Don't give up on someone who's made a life choice that you know goes against scripture. Don't give up. Be the one who has compassion so when they turn and ask a question, there you are right there ready to provide the answer, the hope that lies within us. Number six, we move to verse 23, decisiveness. So have mercy on some who doubt, but look at this one. Save others hmm, by snatching them from the fire. 
by snatching them from the fire. You see, there's other people who are, who are I, I say, are not really doubters. Well, what does that mean? They have nothing yet to doubt. They haven't even got to the point of doubting. I mean, they're so far from God that they, they don't even doubt. So there's people like that. But what does the scripture say here? These people need to be warned of coming judgment. Think about that for a minute. If they repent, what happens? They will be snatched from the fire of hell. So we need to be decisive and get involved in the snatching business. Now, this is a tough group of people, but we need to get in there and, if anything, create some questions in their life, create some doubt in their life, help them to see that the message is still repent and believe. It's still there, and we need to do that. Now, I thought a lot about decisiveness and what I could share, and I don't usually illustrate with, a, with song lyrics, but I want you to listen closely to this hymn text. Don't try to sing it or think it. Listen to the words that are powerful. Are you ready? Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Are you seeing all the action words? Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Here's another verse. Down in the human heart, crushed by the temper, tempter. Feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness. Chords that were broken will vibrate once more. Here's another verse. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. Strength for your labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way. Patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. So a lot of verses, but I love the chorus. It's just, whoop. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Think about that. You see, we need to have a decisiveness. That is an evidence of a godly life. And I would ask you this morning, are you decisively engaging the lost? Well, and we get to the final, the final evidence, and I've called it caution. Oh, you think you've met that person, but you haven't let. Let's look at this third category. Going back to 22, have mercy on some who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. On others, look what it says. On others, have mercy in fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So finally, there are others who, according to the Lamar translation, are just flat out dangerous. They're so degenerate that their clothes smell like rotting flesh. But guess what? We are to reach out to them as well. However, listen, we're to do it with a very cautious attitude. I get nervous around pe people who just want to go fight the devil. Where does it say go fight the devil? It says resist the devil and he will flee. 
But, you know, in the name of Jesus, this, this, and that, and, and that's, a, that's a good thing. But they just want to fight, or there's a spirit of this, or a demon of this, and they're just constantly going after it. Right here we see, we go after everyone, but some be careful, be cautious. So we are to, according to Scripture, with these people, we're to have a cautious attitude mixed with fear. Why? so that we do not become contaminated by their sin. You got it? You, you've had trouble with alcohol, okay? You don't just go into the roughest bar necessarily in Albuquerque and just, I'm just going to go in there and get after it. Some things we do with caution mixed with fear. We're sin Remember, we're praying in the Holy Spirit. So we're able to discern. The picture of I, I get of this is, I, I, I love the, again, you, you've already heard from me, from the Perfect Storm movie, that my fear of dying would be in the ocean in a bad storm, just glove, you know, Titanic. I watched it once. I, don't, I have no desire to watch reruns of it. I picture the guy slipping off the, what was that piece of wood? And not, no, thank you. And then the camera... I'm like, I wouldn't be going like that. I'd be going, ah, all right. But what do they tell you when someone is drowning? Say, off the, be careful that you go try to rescue them. Because if you're not prepared and equipped, you're not a lifeguard or a strong swimmer. What happens to the rescuer when they go to rescue a drowning person? Sometimes they drown as well, right? They get taken under with the person. So I'm not saying don't help someone if, you know, it's kind of hard to drown in New Mexico unless you're at a lake or something, you know, not our streams, I mean rivers, okay, yeah. But that's a picture I get of this, be, be cautious. I love this, William Booth, do you know who he is? He was the founder of the Salvation Army, is credited with saying this, if I had my way, I would not send my workers to four years of college. If I had my way, I would not send my workers to three years of seminary. If I had my way, I would put all of my workers in hell for five minutes. That would be the best theological training they would ever receive. Now, the source is unknown. I don't know if he really said that, but I can see him saying that. Think, can you process that for a minute? That's pretty powerful. And here's the question. Number seven, the evidence of a godly life is caution is this. Are you developing discernment? Are you developing discernment in your relationships? Think about that. Do you know what life suckers are? We've experienced those in our lives. There's some people, they will suck the entire life out of you because you are trying to rescue them. You know what I'm talking about? Did you hear that? You are trying to rescue them instead of God rescuing them. And there may be dozens of other people that God has appointed for you to be involved in their life, but that one life sucker is just sucking it all out of you. So we must have caution mixed with fear and have discernment in how we do that. But nevertheless, these last three evidences we see, there are people that either have the doubts 
or they need, they need to repent, they need to be snatched from hell, and some are just, they're in such bad shape that they're, everything is rotting, and so we have to have caution on how we deal with those. Well, let me close in this way. We have an opportunity, evidences of a godly life. We have an opportunity to protect ourselves. Do you see it? Can you see in just these few verses how we can be protected from apostates and apostasy? And not only can we protect ourselves, but we can help protect others. That's what we're doing with this series. In addition, we can do more than just protect, but we can push back apostasy. Church, we can do that following the Lord, the Lord leading us in our life. We can help to push it back. And most importantly, we can be a witness to those who are not yet children of the King. Aren't you glad you're part of the family? Aren't you glad that you're a child of the King? Wouldn't it be great for that neighbor, that friend, that schoolmate, whoever, to be part of the family as well? We have an opportunity for that witness. And I would say to you this morning, each of us have a choice to make. Each of us have a choice to make. And you know it, Luke 9, 23. Here it is. No, no excuses. Don't come up to me afterward and say, Lamar, let me just explain my situation. No, you tell God. Not that I don't love you. But we have a choice to make. It's Luke 9, 23. Another verse that we get numb by, we don't realize the significance of. Then Jesus said to them all, not to some of them, not to just the apostles, but Jesus said to them all, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, he must do what? You, you know it. Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. There's no option. There's no other option. There's no plan B. This is what the disciple, the follower of Christ, is to do. Oh, that's hard. Can I just deny myself? Mm. Take up the cross daily. I am crucified with Christ. I don't live what? Christ lives in me and through me and follow him. So the question is today, it's so positive, these evidences, the opportunity we have to live a godly life. Will you, will I follow Jesus with a godly life that is evident to others? We can protect we can push back. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word and the growth spiritually that comes from your word. We thank you for all these evidences, how we can pray. And even right now, as I pray, God, I don't have the words. I ask that you fill in the blanks. I ask that you now speak, draw, woo people to your side in the way that only you can do it. And you customize your word for people that are sitting right here, for people that are watching online. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And you can customize it for us. And God, I ask that you would do that. First of all, God, I would ask that we would examine our lives and see if we're in these last grouping of people. Do, do we really have that relationship with you? Have we truly repented and believed? Have we placed our trust 
belief, our faith in you. The faith that you alone can give us. Have we done that? God, I pray that people would examine their lives today and consider doing it right there in their living room, right, right in a chair here up front. When we pray, uh, just however. And God, if we claim to be followers of you, may there be evidence of a godly life. Oh God, we acknowledge we are not perfect. We are sinners. You alone are holy and perfect. We have not met the mark, and yet you've rescued us. We are grateful. And we are to be tools. A godly life is to be a tool that you use in the lives of others. So thank you. Thank you that we can have these things and you can develop them in our lives. We're grateful. In the name of Jesus, we pray.